stuff. And uh, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, great, awesome, spectacular. Uh, it's good to be together in person, online, wherever we're together. It's good. And continuing our series uh, this year, we are going to be going through the first and second letters of to the Corinthian church and breaking them up into mini-series. And as you see uh, right now, we're in a mini-series about building the church. And uh, that's why that memory verse that was in that video was so uh, instrumental in, in kind of overviewing what this series is about, is that you are the temple of God, right? And you saw that little card on your seat, hopefully. Uh, put that somewhere. Memorize that. I'm going to put one uh, on my mirror and, and we got extra, so I'm going to take another and put it on my dashboard and just memorizing that scripture. And uh, if you know me enough, there will be prizes for those who can memorize it. Uh, I like to give stuff away for those that don't know me well. Um, and uh, kind of a throwback to the old Sunday school days, right, where you get to like get candy and things, but as adults, we want coffee and caffeine. So I may be giving, hint, hint, some of that away uh, at the end of our series, uh, because I, I do uh, think it's fun and biblical to give away prizes <laughs> to the church. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, but that, that scripture really uh, captures what this, this series, this mini-series is about, which is building the church. And you are that temple. We are that temple. And how dare we break it apart? But it gets complicated because we as humans break it apart. God is constructing the church, and we shatter it and disassemble it at times. And last week, we started with this mini-series talking about the variety of gifts and talents and functions and roles within the church, and there is a beauty to that diversity of functionality, and that in that, uh, we aren't striving for uniformity, but we're bringing our gifts uh, to, to build the church, and we all play a vital role in that. And this morning, as we, as we dive into this second aspect of what we're talking about, I want to just start with a question. And I want you to answer the question aloud for those that are in the room, okay? If you're watching at home, just yell at your screen. Uh, but who is in charge of the church? What was that? God, God Jesus, right? Good answer. Did anyone say Sean? No? Good answer. Right? The, it's the classic Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Jesus is in charge of the church. It was the right answer. There is a right answer to that question. Who is in charge of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. Now let me ask you this question. Who takes charge of the church? Say it again. We're Pentecostal. It's okay to be loud in church. We do. We do. Yes. Humans step up in this kind of void of uh, of authority or in this void of leadership that we, we can't always see, right? Did anybody see Jesus this morning leading his church physically? If you did, let's talk. <laughs> no one saw Jesus leading the church this morning, and so sometimes we as humans see a void of leadership, and so what do we do? We rise up to the occasion. Oh, I'll take charge. But the problem is, is that the church then becomes Lord of the Flies, and we all just start getting our machetes and chasing each other around and, and, and trying to take over the church. And we create hierarchies of rankings of, oh, well, this guy's a pastor and this gal's an apostle and this is a missionary, an evangelist. Or, oh, well, this person works with kids. But don't tell me you've never thought that. We create hierarchies. 
What's happening in our kids' classrooms are just as important as what's happening in this room. We want a, a genuine encounter with Jesus for all ages, and yet we divide over the church. Who's in charge? Who's leading? Who's got the authority? And instead of dividing the church, what would it look like for the church to unite and, and see a, a sense of servanthood and a sense of equality within the variety of roles. That yes, we have a diversity of roles, but within that diversity is an equality of roles. And with that can bring unity and wholeness and health and harmony that God has designed for his church. And so today is about building the church with equality. And we're going to look at Paul's letter there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And when he writes to them in this section, he sounds a bit frustrated. Right? Josh just read it. He sounds a little irritated with them. He's wanting to keep building the church and growing together, but they're disassembling what he's building. The Corinthian church, and tell me if you can ever relate to this, they think they're a little more mature than they really are. They're a little more spiritual than they really are. A little more holy, a little more better than that. And, and Paul is like a mirror reflecting back to them their imperfections and the things that need to be addressed. And we see this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. I mean, Paul just tells them how it is. If I talk to you like this, I'm sure some of you would be like, I'm going to start going to another church. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. Does that disrupt anybody? If I talked to you like that, you would feel condescended to. You would feel negative. You'd be like, back off, right? But what Paul is seeing is, hey, you guys are acting like a bunch of babies, right? A bunch of little infants, little children. You're childish in your ways. You're not spiritual and healthy and mature like you think you are. And, and, and he gives this illustration of food, like I want to give you solid food. And those of you that are parents or grandparents in the room relate to this uh, concept, this idea, this idea of how many of you with little kids in your life or in your sphere of influence would take them to a nice restaurant? Yeah, <laughs> all the parents giggle. Or those of you with, that used to have young children, now you've got grandchildren, right? The idea of going to a nice restaurant. Now, I don't know what qualifies as a nice restaurant to you. Uh, as a parent of three young children, uh, Outback seems fancy to me, uh, just because they have cloth napkins. Uh, but uh, I don't know what a nice restaurant is to you, uh, but you know, I'm not taking my kids to go eat at the Space Needle anytime soon. And why is that? Because no matter where we take them, whether it's Red Robin or the Space Needle, what are they going to want to order? Chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, pizza, but nothing on it, please. They want cheese pizza, and I try to tell them there's a lot to explore. And I wouldn't take my kids to a steakhouse right now. Why? Because they're just going to want chicken nuggets, the same chicken nuggets. And it bothers me to my core. Like, we go out to this fancy restaurant, and then they order Kraft mac and cheese. I'm like, for $1.19, we could make that for you. <laughs> they're going to charge me $9.20, nine times that amount, right? And Paul's saying the same thing. Why would I give you spiritual food? Why would we talk about these deep spiritual uh, concepts and theological issues and develop you spiritually in this way? You're eating off the kids' menu still. You guys can't even get along. 
You don't view each other as equals. You're acting like children. And that childish behavior has ransacked the church and and in that has divided the church because they're fighting. And they're fighting about these two things. One, who's in charge? And then they're fighting about uh, wanting to be in charge. I want to be in charge. And then I'm going to fight about, well, who have we appointed to be in charge? And we're going to align ourselves with that person. So the first thing where we see them acting like children, this childish church, if you will, they're fighting for authority. Verse 3, he says in, in chapter 3, you are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of this world? You're jealous. You're fighting. You're, you, you want influence. You want power. You want the stage. You want a platform. You want a pulpit. You want a position of control. And so they're fighting for it. They're, they're talking bad about each other. They're gossiping with one another. They're sending angry texts (laughs) about the other person. Even in chapter 12 uh, of the 1 Corinthian letter, we see him talk about the body of Christ. And within that body of Christ, there is this competition happening. They're chasing roles of dignity and honor and position, right? And Josh kind of read this section out of chapter 12 talking about, oh, I want this position because it's more important, or this one is more dignified, more honored, And then, oh, I don't want this lowly position because it's just lowly and disrespected and weaker or less important. I saw this when coaching uh, children, to bring children back into the context, coaching children. I love to coach. Uh, I coached soccer this last fall. I'm coaching Little League, uh, which will be interesting as I get to throw a hard object at a small child playing Little League, and I don't have the greatest accuracy, so we'll see how that goes. But coaching these little kids in in sports, what you find is they find positions that they really want to play. Oh, I want to play goalie. I want to play forward. I want to play pitcher, catcher. I want to always hit, right? And then what do kids do? They have this nice, civilized, like, no, you go first. No, you play goalie. No, they fight for it and they yell for it. I want to play goalie! And then you have all these little young voices, prepubescent at best, and they're just screaming for the position that they want. And I have to tell these kids and teach them and get down on their level. And I get to bring this concept, actually, without quoting chapter and verse. But talk about, hey, we're all demanding these positions and thinking that this position is more important than the other. And then I ask them, what's the most important position on the field? It's a trick question. They're all important. Can you imagine a soccer team without a goalie or a forward or a defender? Can you imagine a baseball team without a catcher or a pitcher or a shortstop? You might say, I don't like the outfield. But what happens when that one nine-year-old that can hit a ball hits it into the outfield? Six six six-year-olds run after it and go running for it, right? Because we didn't have an outfielder. And they begin to realize the value of all the positions that matter. This happens within our churches. I remember working at a a large church. I used to work at a, a, a big church down in Bothell, Washington, and I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was in my 20s and, and thought I was ready to conquer the world out of Bible college. And on a larger team, we had, we had about 40 paid staff, and we'd have these big holiday services, right? We'd have Easter, and can you believe Easter's coming up soon? Whew. We, we have Easter services, and we have three, four, five Easter services, and thousands of people would show up, and we'd have holiday services for Christmas, and thousands of people would show up, 
and me being a licensed four-square pastor, I was so excited to finally get a position of authority. And you know where they put the young youth pastor in his 20s? Not up front, not on the stage, in the parking lot. They put the licensed pastor in the parking lot. And I, I, at first, I was like, cool, we could do whatever we want. And then pretty soon, I went, why am I in the parking lot? <laughs> I'm out here. I am doing the job if it's signed. You've relegated me to a signpost that says, park here. This is where you should park. Like that, that, that's what I got relegated to, basically. And this inner bitterness began to brew in me and, and wondering, like, man, I, I want to get up and read a scripture. I want to say something. I want to hold the candle at the Christmas service and light it. No, Sean, parking lot. Fine. We gravitate towards this, this tendency within church. We want positions that feel important. We want power. We want rec recognition. We want responsibility. We want influence. We get upset in church because we felt passed over for a position. Why didn't they ask me to tell my testimony on a microphone? Why don't I get to lead worship? Why don't I get to share? Why don't I get to read the scripture? Why don't I get to lead a life group. Why did I get passed over for being on church council? Everybody else seems to get those positions. And I feel upset because I'm feeling overlooked. We see division within the church when we feel this inner struggle of being overlooked or underappreciated or underutilized and unimportant in what we're doing. We get frustrated when we feel like we've paid our dues. I don't know if I want to do that anymore, Sean, because I paid my dues. We look at this serve card and like, nah, I'll let somebody else do that. And I've literally had people tell me, like, I paid my dues in kids. Which just contradicts our heart here at Hub City, by the way. Working with children is not about paying dues. It is about investing in a part of your church. Not even the future of your church. It's just your church. But people will look at it and say, well, I paid my dues behind the scenes or in a classroom or whatever, and I want to lead a life group now. I want to be on stage now, or I want to do this. And, and this tension begins to brew, and that's what's happening within the Corinthian church, is everybody's fighting for recognition and honor and reputation and power and influence. And what we end up doing within the church context is creating almost like this social dynamic game of shoots and ladders. Remember the game shoots and ladders as a kid, right? You got the ladders that get up, and then you got the shoots that go down. And the whole idea of the game, I'm going to mansplain it for two seconds, is to get to the top spot, right? To work your way to the top position. Well, that's what's happening within the Corinthian church. Everybody's just, I'm going to keep climbing. I'm going to pay my dues. I'm going to do this. I'll stack chairs for a little bit, and then I'll clean, and then I'll work in kids, and then eventually I'll get to and we have this competitive mindset where we are climbing ladders to the spiritual greatness of influence and recognition and honor. And then we find ourselves going down these chutes of like, well, I guess I'll help out and serve. I'll get my hands dirty. I'll volunteer there and not get, it, not get noticed. It's going to feel like I'm in spiritual oblivion down the chute. And so some, sometimes we can look at something like a serve card like an opportunity to serve within our church. And we can see shoots and we can see ladders. 
I mean, that's our human tendency, okay? So don't feel like I'm pointing fingers. I just, I just bared my soul of like, I struggle with that too. But what Paul is challenging them to do is to think of it differently. Don't act like the world acts. See, we see that same shoots and ladders mentality in other aspects of our world, don't we? In the business world, in your field, in your business or your office, in the military, in sports, in education. It's about climbing and not descending. But Paul says, don't act like the world. The church is supposed to be different. The church is supposed to operate and function different. Spiritual maturity, and if we're striving to be spiritually mature people, it's not about ascending into success, it's about descending into servanthood. Spiritual maturity is about ascent, isn't, let me, let me say that correctly, isn't about ascending into success, it's about descending into servanthood. And that's why you see Paul emphasize all of the gifts functioning in this wholeness together. It's not about positioning. It's about purpose and functionality. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 through 23. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seemed weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. Paul's trying to get them in their childish thinking to see all gifts and functions and roles as important, as valuable. It's not about jockeying for position. It's about elevating others, serving others, and descending into that maturity. And in that, we can find church unity and harmony and wholeness and purpose and mission. But then there's this other aspect of childish behavior that the Corinthian church is experiencing. It's not just that we're fighting each other for authority and position and power and influence, but that once we see somebody in leadership, we allow that to become the defining factor, the dividing factor, if you will. They are divided over authority. And we see it in chapter 3 when Paul is talking about this, because in that context... Right? Unlike the, the church of today and us as humans today, they didn't have the flow of, uh, of information in the same way. They didn't have Twitter and Google and phones and all of that. Right? They didn't have books and libraries in the same capacity that we do today. And so what would happen in that context in Corinth at that time is a communicator, an influencer, a leader would come in. And they would come to town. Some philosopher would come to town. He'd share his views on the world oh, this is how I view eternity, and this is how I view spirituality and maturity, and this is how I view life and understanding of what's really important. And these people would come in, and they would share, and they'd build a following. They would build a crowd. It was like Instagram without the pictures, right? They, they, would, they would influence society, but it was all through communication. And people would follow them, and they'd rally around them. And then what's happening within the Corinthian church as Paul comes into Corinth, plants this church, tells them about Jesus, tells them the gospel of the Son of God came to earth. He died for, the, for your sins on the cross. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. He's up in heaven. Man, that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. We're all the body and the family of Christ. But then Paul travels on, and this other guy named Apollos comes in. And Apollos begins teaching and pastoring and shepherding people, and he becomes a spiritual influence as well. And so what happens in Corinth is they become divided. Well, I follow Paul. Paul's the originator of this church. Well, I follow Apollos because he tells better stories. 
Well, I follow Paul because I really liked the way that he carried himself. Well, I follow Apollos because he used PowerPoint. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. When one of you say, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I, am, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of this world? They're fighting over who they follow. You see, they're divided over who's in authority. Now, thankfully, 2,000 years later, we don't do this, right? We don't allow personality to divide us, right? When we do this outside of the church, right, with sports, we allow things to divide us in sports, right? Our affiliations with teams and things and heroes. We, we allow those things to get divided. We, we allow our news to divide us, what news organization we follow or watch or listen to or subscribe to. We might allow that to divide us. We allow our politics to get divided based on personality, do we not? Yeah. In fact, some of you are looking at those two icons saying, there should be more icons because I don't fit one of those. Don't put me into one or two of those. And then we do it within church. You see, we, we fall into the same tendencies outside of the church as we do inside the church. And Paul would look at the church today, and I wonder what he would write. If he wrote this to the Corinthian church years and years and years ago, right? We spend our energy rallying around figures and authorities and personalities and leaders and authority figures. And I wonder if Paul would just throw his hands up and say, like, what are you doing? What are we doing? We're, we're divided over our pastors. We're divided over the, the spiritual leaders in our lives and who we follow on our social media as spiritual influences in our lives, or the YouTube channels we watch, or the books that we read, the denomination we're affiliated with, the church we're a member of. We become divided over the pastors based on so many different, really and truly, superficial factors. We follow a, a, a pastor because of the tattoos that they may or may not have. Or the clothes that they choose to wear on Sunday morning. Like, am I spiritual enough for you this morning? I'm not wearing shorts, but I'm not wearing sneakers either. We, we, we follow a, a, a pastor based on who they voted for. Well, this guy voted for Biden, so I'm following him. This guy voted for Trump, so I'm all in. This guy wears a mask. This guy doesn't wear a mask. I'll follow them. How about this? This is a female pastor. I'll follow her. Oh, I can't follow a female pastor. I can only follow male. They've got long hair, short hair. They drive a truck, a Prius. I, you know, we just pick all these different factors. They're more humorous. They're more intellectual. They're too lax. They're too young. They're too old. This person's a four-square pastor. This person's an Assemblies of God pastor. This is a non-denominational pastor. So there you go. And we divide over all of these factors, right? Who do we follow? We allow that to become the dividing factor within the church today, and here's what happens. We deceive ourselves into thinking we are the only people in Skagit Valley following the truth. Can you feel that tension in the church today? Anybody? 
I'm not saying within these walls. I mean in your greater church context, your other Christian friends and the Christian circles that you bounce in on social media and things like that. We become divided against each other, and we are on the same team. And yet, we allow it to be the thing that divides us. Can we just, can we, can we call baloney on all of that? Because I think that's what Paul would say. If Paul were writing to us today, I think he would ask the same question that he did in verse 5. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? He is Paul, by the way. The guy writing this letter is Paul. The guy that wrote most of the New Testament. The guy that pioneered the early church. The guy that was blinded by Jesus and then had his eyes open to Jesus. The guy that saw thousands of people come to know Christ. The guy that, I mean, if anybody could show us his resume and be like, I'm Paul, forget Apollos. Right? Of all the people that could cling to a reputation. And he says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? And I wonder if, if Paul was writing to the American church today, if he would just say, who's Sean? I'm Sean, for those that I haven't met. Who's Sean? Who is he? Who's Tyler, our youth pastor up in the booth? Who, who's Tyler? Who's Pastor Bruce over at his place? Who's Pastor Rick over at CTK? Who's Pastor Josh at Inspire? Who's Pastor Mike over at Sunrise? What is Foursquare? What is CTK? What is Inspired Church? What is Assemblies of God? What is non-denominational? What is it? I think Paul would ask the same question that we allowed to be so divisive. Well, I am allegiant to this denomination or this leader and I will put a bumper sticker on the back of my car and a shirt on my chest and I am right and you are deceived because we believe in the truth and you don't for these reasons. And this is what Paul would then say after he asks, well, who the heck is Sean and who's Bruce and who's Mike and what's Foursquare? He would say, we are only God's servants, those whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. So all those spiritual leaders that are influencing Skagit Valley, and I didn't even mention them all, but some of us have been in the valley long enough that you've, you know who I'm talking about, the congregations that we're talking about. Maybe I didn't mention one that you've been to, but what would Paul boil it down to? It's not about Apollos and Paul and Peter and who's it about? It's about Jesus being in charge of the church. And he says, who is Apollos? Who's Paul? Verse 5, they are servants. We are servants. Who is truly in charge of the church today? Christ. Who's the one that grows the church today? Christ. And that's what we have to remember. We become so divided over denominations and leaders and church names and brands and all of this stuff, but yet we are all on the same team serving the one true God that is the head over all of the churches, and that is what? Jesus is the head of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 24, God has put the body together. Not Sean. Not Foursquare. Not Hub City. God has put the body together. Chapter 3, verse 7. It is not important to us who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Why is that important? 
because it's his church. Imagine the difference we could make in Skagit Valley if we stopped fighting over how we do church or the name of our church or the leader of our church or whether we are a masked church or a not masked church. Because guess what? Next Sunday, it don't matter anyways, right? We're not going to make a big deal of it, by the way. It all ends this next weekend, and there you go. You don't want to wear a mask? Go wear a mask. You want to wear a mask? Great, wear a mask. Imagine what the church could do, the church, not just this church, the church could do in Skagit Valley. 10,000 people live in Burlington. Do they all go to church? Do they all love Jesus? Do they all believe in the gospel? Nope. But imagine what could happen if we stopped worrying about, well, this pastor does this and this pastor does that. Man, I, I may plant a seed or I may water a seed, but I didn't make it grow. God made it grow. You may be loyal and allegiant to me because this is the place that you came to know Jesus. You may be loyal to this church to the bitter end. Great. Fantastic. I, I love you. But we just played a part in your journey. God is the one that made it grow. You're a part of God's family. You're a child of God. I didn't die for the church. And there is no pastor in this valley that did. I didn't die on the cross. You didn't take communion to celebrate me. Did you? Right? Right? I, I'm not going to, by the way. And I kind of say this with a smirk on my face and, and, and kind of joking about it because we become, this is the reality, we become so entrenched in this stuff and we forget who's really in charge of the church. Who's really leading the church? Who's growing the church? Who died for the church? And whose church is it? And that's what so inspires me is Paul is trying to help them see, look at what could happen. If we can get over these childish ways of trying to be in charge or dividing over who is in charge, look at what can happen to the church. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their hard work. United in purpose. We could be united in purpose. United against the true enemy of our valley, which is what? Spiritual apathy, maybe? Spiritual distraction? Spiritual rebellion? Not affiliated with another extension of the Christ body that just looks and sounds a little different. But we could be united in purpose to say, we want to reach those that are far from God. Who's on board with that mission? Rather than just growing Hub City Church to be bigger and better than the other church down the street. We aren't competing. Look at how different we could be if we started looking at it and saying, we want to go reach people that are far from God. That feel distant from God. That want nothing to do with God. And let's do our part. Let's stop jockeying for position even within our church. Oh, I'm important. No, I'm not important. I want a title. I don't have a title. Ah, we could be united in purpose. I water the seed. You plant the seed. You pull weeds. 
He says in chapter 12, verse 25 through 26, look at the beauty of what can happen in the church. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. How many of you want to be a part of that church? There's some quiet nodding. I'd keep going back to that. If I was experiencing harmony with the members, I'd want to be a part of that. I wouldn't care what their mission statement was and how cool their graphics were, what their building looked like. Wouldn't care what their website looked like or how great their speaker was because all the parts are functioning in unity together. And that word harmony, it's like a symphony or an orchestra. Everyone's just playing their instrument. Nobody within the church is fighting for their tuba solo. Tuba, 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 tuba. I listened to a podcast, and it was, a, it was this conductor of the L.A., uh, well, I'm going to butcher it, uh, harmonic or something. It's really not my jam. Uh, but I was listening to it, and he just talked about him leading, and they're anticipating, and they're watching for his direction. And what Paul is painting a picture of is the church following the true conductor. It's not me. It's Christ. What if we all fixed our eyes on Christ and he was our conductor, he was our maestro, and we all played our part in harmony, in unison, not fighting for attention or spotlight or first chair or second chair, but united in that suffering and the successes and we're all in this together if we all go down we all go down if we all succeed we all succeed right but we're all in this together and we are following the one that died for the church we're following the one that unites the church we're following the one that you that that leads the church and so can we be a church community that lays aside ego and ambition and descends into that servanthood can we be that can we contend for that? And that's why in this series we're emphasizing the serving the church opportunities that we have. And I, I hope and pray, and we'll give you a moment right here to just, to if you haven't already, filled one of these out and drop it in the box on your way out so that you can join a team and begin to serve and, 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 and be united with what your church is doing. But, but the idea there is, we're setting aside our egos. We're setting aside our time and our energy and our resource. And we're serving for each other. And let's join together and build the church that Jesus died for and came back from the grave for. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in your church. Even right now, we, just, we do pray for the various churches in our valley, in our area. As they're watering and planting seeds, God, I pray that you grow those seeds. That you use your church family that is spread out across this valley, across denominational lines, 
and leadership structures and personalities and expressions, God, we just contend for unity and we contend for your purposes to come to fruition. We pray for all of Skagit Valley to come to know you. I pray that within our church that we cultivate a heart of servanthood and humility and that you would build your church here. We are your church and I pray that you build us up. Build your church, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak to us and, and inspire us and give us courage. If it's our time right now to step out and, and join a team and, and be involved in what you're doing to build your church. That we are not spectators or consumers, but we are participants within the body of Christ. We love you and thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.